0: Here's what's next on Business Lunch. It's all about the operators in the end. Business is tough anyway, and if you wanna succeed, it's question is the talent of the team around you and the core fundamentals of the business. And it's a massive universe. I choose to collaborate with people, even competitors, then view them as competitions.
1: How much more successful would you be if you had lunch once a week with insanely successful entrepreneurs who share their biggest secrets on how they think and achieve success? Grab your seat at the table because this is Business Lunch with Roland Frazier and Ryan Dice. Hey, everybody. Roland Frazier here with the Business Lunch podcast. And I'm super excited today to have my friend Tom Shipley here. And Tom follows my philosophy. He likes to stay off of the org chart. So he doesn't even have a company. That's how cool he is. Uh, he's got a bunch of companies, but he doesn't
0: have one that he works for. So, Tom, welcome to the show. It is really great to be here and really a privilege always spending time with you, Roland. I love it. So
1: you were st- we were starting to talk and I was like, wait, 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 let's talk about it on the show because I like the spontaneity of an actual conversation. So what, what was it you were getting ready to say? I,
0: I was going to say that the cool thing about what you're doing, and I know you're wearing a lot of hats these days, is you're actually changing the game. So there's, and I was talking a little bit to to Ryan before you popped on about what what I, your son, and what is viewed as entrepreneurship. And there's this whole, you know, first of all, this thing is corporate life. What we should be doing in the corporate world, and what's the right way to live life, or what is the rules of the game. Then there's entrepreneurship, which is totally different. But then there is what I'm going to consider. What are their different phase of entrepreneurship? Whether it is basically traditional businesses and you get into one business and you follow that and you try to maybe create a liquidity, uh, liquidity event or a diagnostic, dog, diagnostic wealth. But there's that, there's that more traditional game. And then I'm going to, and then there's serial entrepreneurship, but then there is this new version of entrepreneurship, which I say that you are being an evangelist for and almost evangelical, which is not only the entrepreneurial operator, But it's the entrepreneur investor. And the fact that you can do both and do a series of it and how you do that in parallel. And I'm gonna say that, you know, I've always been the entrepreneurial operator. And that's really what I've always found my strength into. And I've been luckily lucky enough to be able to build a number of different eight-figure businesses and be able to develop brands that became household names and sold several billion dollars or $2 billion of products worth. But that's one game. And so uh, what you helped open my eyes to as we started going into COVID was this whole concept of being an entrepreneurial investor. And I don't have to control... And manage and operate everything on my own and it's been an incredible transition for me but i see the way you're impacting thousands of entrepreneurs lives and changing the game
1: that's really cool i i appreciate that i'm thinking aquapreneur. What do you think about that?
0: Okay. <laughs> I love that. I love that.
1: Entrepreneur together. Well, so now you've done some really cool things. I mean, you, you've built, as you mentioned, a ton of really, really cool businesses. And since we talked and, and I also like this conversation because we had an equity deal, that didn't work out because not all of them do. And it didn't work out in the best of ways because it turned out that you were able to have some people that came in and made a great offer before we could even get really started with the stuff that we were talking about doing. So I'd like to talk a little bit about that. Maybe maybe that deal in particular because it it led, like, I like how it started. You had a part, that partner ended up getting taken care of and bought out. You had uh, a big fund come in, you've got, and then you were able to position yourself to, to move out of that. We were working on doing something there, but this other stuff happened before we really got to do much of anything. And so hopefully we'll still have the opportunity to do some cool stuff here in the future. But, but would you mind telling that story? Cause I just think that's a really good, like a lot of cool things happened in that journey on that particular deal.
0: Yeah. And I'll, let me just set the table up for people that especially don't know me. And that is at that time when we started talking, I was still running Atlantic Coast Brands with my partner with Karenique, our Women's Hero Growth brand, really dominate the uh, niche of Women's Hero Growth from everything from retail to it's pure omni-channel, omni-digital. And so that brand is doing well, the business is doing well, but we knew we'd selling, we're selling the business. And that's when, you know, segue back into when you first offered Epic, I I watched the series and it started changing things and you did your challenge. And what was really cool about that period of time is I was looking for what is the next thing. And I'm always looking for if we sell that business and starting something before we sell it off, what is the thing that is going to have this significant impact and then i'm always looking at the second and third order impacts of what's happening in our world right now and if you want to we can talk about that later but let me get to your your answer your question so as we're doing that and trying trying to identify what is that big opportunity I love the aggregation plays. I think that aggregation is the way to go. And there's one thing doing acquisitions, but the other is aggregating platforms.
1: And I think, I think, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that you watched what Thoracio and Perch were doing and kind of said, this seems like a really strong area that I can go into that's just starting. We know there's going to be a ton of people that are copying that. And and you had a kind of a secret weapon in in your ops and your partner's agency business to help with that. Is that correct?
0: Uh, yes. And, and and I'll just spin on that is that Brian and I started looking into the space of let's do a small aggregation play in e-com. Then we flipped it to Amazon because his mm-hmm. agency, Brian Burt's agency is his canopy is all built on Amazon. And then yeah. as we started researching this, that's when Thrasio closed their big round and had this crazy valuation of 750 million back then. Now they're at 10 billion and yep. there were only five players in the space back then. And Perch was, re- again, Perch was just one of the names, but you didn't know think, much about yeah, it. It exactly. was really in the early yep. in the game. But to me, is that meant that as an asset class, I'm always looking for what a great new asset classes are. As an asset class. And amateur- just
1: for people, so yeah. people understand what does asset class mean when you say that?
0: It, those are, um, an asset is something where there it can be easily traded and there's a clear valuation on it. And prior okay. to this, it was difficult to get fund, and especially where you can get funding off of. It was very difficult to get funding to acquire an Amazon business. It was viewed at as very risky because you don't control yeah. the marketplace. and Thras- Certainly
1: not institutional funding.
0: That's exactly it. And therefore, yeah. what Thrasio did is it changed the game. They are going to call what... Netscape did is broke the the glass ceiling and so mm-hmm. suddenly what I knew at that time is while um, Amazon does all the heavy lifting with starting a brand and launching and scaling what I knew is that suddenly institutional funding will become available for that and let's pivot the business to let's focus on both we could do e-com, but also let's focus on Amazon business, especially with Brian's background. And that's when we spent the day with you and started just brainstorming. What does this look like? What would the structure be of the company? How can we scale it? How can we bring in money? And we spent that day together and said, let's see see how we can pull things together and then I just started reaching out for casual conversation just for brainstorming with, I I did seven calls to private equity firms that I have casual relationships with. I respect the leaders of them and mm-hmm. just said, let's just talk about this idea. And without a PowerPoint done and without a business plan, and I am i don't know how you do this, and I've never seen anything like this in my 20 years in, in, the, in raising and working with institutional capital, is we had six offers out of seven meetings to between 50 to 150 million to fund this de novo concept of this aggregation of being able to build this platform where we go and buy Amazon businesses buying between two to a six multiple. And then when you pull them together as this aggregator, you have this multiple of between 12 to 18 to maybe we'll see if world gets up to 20 times um, multiple on this. And that's really the play.
1: Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. So then tell me about like, now you, you made those calls and they said, we're, we're very interested. What happens next?
0: Okay. That's a good question. So overall there's, there's, you're starting to go through a basic level of due diligence on each other. They're getting to know more about your business. They're digging into the details on your, and again, then you're fleshing out a business model. They're talking to members of, again, we assembled a quick team together. And I looked at two, you know, two really great leaders And operators from within Amazon that had left, we pulled on board on the journey and Brian and I, and we started going into a lot more detail meetings, but it's also the critical opportunity to understand the way they operate, the way that the private equity, if you're looking at institutional funding, but we were looking at, we, we didn't stop the dialogue there. We were talking to venture debt. We were talking to venture funds. We were really expanding out the rise and making sure we have the right partnership as well as creating a unique structure. Because again, this is such a hot market. We did not have to go into the traditional private equity structure. Mm -hmm. And we picked the ultimate. And that
1: that traditional structure. And we had talked about that going in. It's like, they kind of try to pigeonhole you into this two and 20 where they're going to get their money back and maybe even a preferential return. Plus they're going to uh, take 80% of the profits. So it's, It's not a lot, I mean, it's good and you can, you can make a lot of money doing that, but it's certainly a tremendous amount of work and a big bet and a lot of waiting before you really get any significant
0: return, right? That's, that's correct. And again, it's the amount of return and we like, I like uh, to be rewarded based on results, period. And so we were able to create a very unique structure. And by working with several different private equity firms, we actually picked one firm and got to the last minute. And there's in every deal structure, there are always things that happen last minute. The question is, is can you figure a way through it or not? And unfortunately with this one firm that I just, we loved it didn't work out, even though they invested $850,000 into a study by Bain to prove our thesis so they can take that to yeah. their investment committee and whatever, which was great data for us to leverage. And what that did is that opened the door. When that fell through, they he basically, Dennis said, I want to introduce you to someone who used to work with here, and I think they're the right fund for you. I paired them together with another private equity firm that are really great brand builders because when you're bringing in private equity, you're not bringing in just money bring in network and really knowledge and expertise in yeah. order to grow the business and that's how it happened that happened in
1: that well that deal was was interesting too because if if it's the one i'm thinking about and i think it is you you had an advocate within the firm and then there was a disagreement in the leadership and ultimately the person that was the contact ended up saying if this is how things are going and this is how we're thinking then I'm going to go do my own thing, right? That And uh, yeah. so then it kind of, it was like, okay. So the <laughs> it's just like Here. we were down to the, the five yard line and somebody moved the whole field.
0: We right? were down the five yard line and they stopped all inve- consumer investments for a period of time because he ran the consumer group. And we're talking, yep. you know, they have $150 billion in under assets. So we're talking a very large one. They froze yep. all investments in their private equity firm while they did this transition. So basically the deal died right there. And so we then look for, uh, go, I went back to the, uh, the one partner, he, a new group he invests, he introduces to, plus I paired it together with one of the six other people we had term sheets. Yep. And that's basically how we pulled it together. Unfortunately, the legal process is, is the most painful thing that you're going to go through dealing with private equity. Therefore, yep. if you can start businesses, not through private equity, you'll a lot more control and it's a lot less painful. However starting a business and having the faith of investors of putting $100 million behind you on a brand new concept says a lot about them and the relationship. And therefore, there's a lot of respect that has to go both ways for that to happen. Absolutely.
1: And you ended up getting funding from one of those other options,
0: right? 100%. Yes. It took us, the commitment happened very quickly after that. And then we, but it did take us 90 days to close the $100 million in funding, uh, mostly because of just the attorney's. And then, then we were off to, off to the races. And by then is in this field of aggregation of Amazon, we've had a lot of people pop into it. It's a very hot space. It's very interesting. But the other thing that was interesting is that the deal we did is they wanted to, as we did some pivots in this deal structure, they wanted to bring in a, the person who has a capability and the desire to take us public, the CEO. So we changed the deal structure where I can be an entrepreneurial investor. And my role was put together the team put together the C-level, the strategy, the foundation, and then also bring in the work with the private equity firm to bring in the right CEO. And my job was done on October 3rd. So essentially from, well, we started this in April of, the concept in April of 2020, we actually got funded in March. And in October 3rd, I became what what Roland Fraser classifies as an entrepreneurial investors. So my equity is riding and starting on October 3rd, I started looking at is what is the next transformational opportunity or opportunities i'm going into and what's my 2022 looking like and that's where my can you share any of
1: that or is it is it secret now Uh, because i understand either
0: way i'll share high level and detail so um essentially and i'm kind of opening up my kimono here but that's that's fine as far i guess keep
1: in mind that anybody and we can talk about it offline because if you want because count on anybody hearing this saying, that's great, I'm going to go do that too. So you, you potentially open yourself up to competition. So if you don't want to share, it's okay. The, the biggest example of that is at Traffic and Conversion one year, we talked about going into the survival business and there were about 300 people from the audience within a month that went into the survival business. So was like,
0: ah. <laughs> That's great. I, and, I'll, and I'll share with you is it's not that tight of a niche from that perspective. And the way I also view the world is, as I was in the skincare and hair care business for 15 years. And if you talk about a bloody marketplace mm-hmm. and you're up against significant capital, as well as fly by night people that don't follow rules online, so, and I view it's all about the operators in the end business is tough anyway. And if you want to succeed, it's question is the talent of the team around you and the core fundamentals of the business. So I'm really not that worried. And it's a massive universe. I choose to collaborate with people, even competitors, then view them as competition. So I'll just, that's my foundation. So first of all, I want to spend two thirds of my time. On one business and I want partnerships for the rest of my, for the rest of my time, where okay. I'm dealing with great operators, as well as other people that are like you, Roland, that are just having mm-hmm. so much value network and, and, and brilliance to bring to it, where we can actually take ideas that are good business ideas and good core businesses and add zeros. I don't want to... With an exception, I, I don't want it to be dealing with, with startups, except for one or two exceptions, and I'll share that. First of all, I'm looking at, I believe, if we thought that the last decade was about aggregators, the, we've seen nothing to what the next decade's going to be. I believe it's the decade of aggregation. It's the decade of pulling together businesses that um, are nice, steady growth rate businesses, but are um, independent and grouping these could be boring industries together, especially in the B2C or B2B service sector and pulling them together. And then you have platforms and you have concrete unfair advantages by doing this and accelerate the growth and achieve.
1: Just just for the audience, do you have a differentiation in your mind between what a roll-up is and what an aggregation
0: is? No. Okay, same thing, basically. Yeah, same thing, same thing. Okay. And again, there's okay, different wanna... flavors. There's light integration. There's heavy integrations to that, depending on what you want to do. But I view the roll-ups and aggregation as the same. Okay, cool. Okay. Though so if you have a different opinion, love to hear it.
1: Not off the top of my head, okay. but as you were saying it, I was trying to think of, of is an aggregation play different, like thinking specifically about the Amazon space. So they're basically going out. I, I it, It's maybe... The roll up is more often it's exactly the same business and aggregation is that it's the same business model so that in the aggregation play, if we were looking at the Amazon thing, we'd say, well, as a fund, an aggregator in Amazon doesn't really care what the people are selling. They only care that it's somebody that's using the Fulfilled by Amazon platform on Amazon to sell goods but the goods could be anything whereas a roll up would would be more like i sell i sell coke you know coca cola and they're independent distributors of coca cola and so i'm going to roll up i'm going to acquire multiple distributors so that i can get economies of scale and what they call merger synergies by providing the same bottling services to everybody or something like that that might be a distinction worth exploring. Sure, yeah. And
0: I view that everything is about the synergy. So the more light you can do to make the complex simple and then really enjoy the economies of scale, the better you are at a model. Even in the Amazon aggregation spaces. If instead of buying everything across this across the spectrum of all products, if you can narrow it down, it gives you a strategic advantage from sourcing, customer bases, everything else. In, also in- buyers, yeah. right?
1: I mean, because like you, you're more likely to find a buyer of people that sell heavy blankets. Like I own 60% of the heavy blanket market on Amazon than you are to say, I, I've got heavy blankets and, and Manuka honey and, and you know, <laughs> copper cups, yes, right? Yes. Yes.
0: And people are more likely to solve. It. There's so many strategic advantages to, of doing that. And I, as I look on this is, and I, if you notice what I said is the service business and not product business. I've only yeah. been, I've been, I can't say that. I've been primarily in the product business in my past. The product business mm-hmm. has its significant complexities. There's margin complexities. There there are margin issues and compression issues there. There's also the media channels, which, ultimately, what I know about every media channel, every media channel over time will decrease in effectiveness and increase in cost. And so, you know, there's some real complexity involved there. Therefore, I like uh, service businesses as I'm looking at uh, different aggregation plays that are out there. Interesting.
1: So it's kind of like to get your take on this because in the product business, one of the big challenges is uh, cost of goods sold and the need to buy inventory. And so capital can be, particularly during growth, capital can be tight and you might have to wait a while before you get to the point where you're not in that cycle of buying more inventory and then buying more media and then having more people in f- fulfillment facilities so that you can buy more inventory and, and so on. But in the service business, there is frequently a scale issue in terms of labor and people and finding the people who have the skills to provide the services. So in that, generally, if it's AIable. Or it's it's uh, non-skilled workerable like like that's a kind of a key component in services because if you're like if you're trying to scale an accounting firm there's only so many skilled accountants that you'll be able to find even if you've got a ton of business so how, how do you address that and what you're thinking about
0: I'm going to say this Roland that um, I, in special forces we learn that a, a good operator is one who improvises. And so that's what we learned back then. And I found that in entrepreneurship, there's a direct relationship between it's not about your resources that are available to you. It's your resourcefulness is a key thing. Yeah. So there's always, if you, if you ever give me a specific situation, you put a couple of really creative minds. There's always ways around it. And you mentioned whether it's outsourcing, offshore sourcing, sourcing. Whether it's taking a certain level expertise that has to be done by a certain level, and then and then delegating down, delegating out. There's recruiting strategy. You know, I talked to a gentleman who was looking at even aggregating the car wash business. To me, it sounds painful. Yeah for a lot of reasons, but he's, but even there is, okay, so labor, how do you, that's a real labor intensive business. How do you solve that labor business? I'm going to say there's some recruiting, uh, strategies that you can do to bring in the right level of talent, even at that level. But again, it's about creativity. Yeah. You're singing my song. I love that. And then it's templates. And then when you figure out once to one location, then you do it to your multiple locations or you aggregate your resources. So, and that's just fun.
1: Okay. So, so you're looking at service. Go, go, go on, and tell us the rest.
0: Okay. So th- that's why I said this is the next decade is about the aggregation play. It doesn't matter whether you're looking at well, I've just brought the example of car wash. I'm not passionate about that one, but there's, there's other services, whether it's HVAC, we just saw a massive roll up uh, by number of companies in the veterinary space, but there's so many beautiful niches that are out there that really is the opportunity. One that's mm-hmm. at hand, which uh, I've very strong partners that I'll be working with and a string of operators that will be supporting it is in the is in the agency, marketing and advertising agency space, not just digital across the board, creative analytics, you know, again, across the whole spectrum of them. So there's a great mm-hmm. opportunity to aggregate groups and then sell off different groups or you create super groups. So it's a model that's there. The team is fantastic. And one of the partners in it that you know well is one of the more, I said, talented, brilliant people that I know in programmatic M&A, which is the the foundation. How do you take complex things and make them boring? But then how can we take this business model and then apply it to other industries? And then how can we scale that across industries so there's significant opportunities? So that's one of my plays that I'm going to commit to two thirds of my time to. The other okay. things that I'm looking at is, and again, it's diverse. And Roland, whenever you have a business, you're looking at, you have your filter and your criteria. It has to meet. Yes, it has to make sense from a cash flow perspective and long term wealth. It has to, for me, it has to have a certain ability, a certain scale. Because startups, I, I don't do startups. They're just too painful for me. And there has to be an exception exactly. to the rule. The oh, and yeah. there has to be intellectually st- stimulating. And I also like different things that have impact in one way I can have impact one of the, and I'm looking at diverse things to open up my mind. So one of the plays that I'm looking at is in the NFT space. Now I say this, I don't want to, I don't want to arbitrage pictures of clowns and unicorns. That's not my thing. Okay. Let other people play that game. And, and Although gamble.
1: apparently there's hundreds of millions of dollars in that. <laughs> yes,
0: you're a hundred percent correct. But and and Roland, I think we spoke about before first order and second order and third order, order impacts. So, you know, as yes. we, you know, as we looked at the automotive industry and we saw the third order impacts of suddenly there was given freedom, America's Henry Ford, Ford Motor Company, mass production. But then that led to the chain of uh, gas stations across the United States, second order impact, third order impact is. They traveled so far. There wasn't enough. There wasn't bed and breakfasts back then about boarding houses. So that's became a national chain of motels that led into hotels to what we have now. Third order impact. Yeah. NFT is the same question. NFT and blockchain technologies, what are the second order and third order impacts? What is going to be there to change our lives and change it? So looking at different plays from that, from different marketplace, initial people that are winning that place are going to say we're the uh, technology folks, but quickly entrepreneurs are popping in and how do we control niche marketplace is very fascinating so that not, not all transactions or most transactions will happen in OpenSea marketplace. It'll be happening in niche niche marketplaces for whether we're talking about commercial real estate, whether I'm talking about digital real estate, I'm talking about physical real estate, different IPs will be traded. So, but there'll be niche marketplace in my prediction. The the thing that I'm looking at is, okay, so let's look at charities. Now, Thropic has an interesting model where they're giving a percent of all transactions to charities. That's great. But I'm looking at another play, which is a, it's an actual Dow, trade place controlled by the people that actually are buying the NFTs themselves. They get to yep. vote on where they're going to invest their money, what charities they're going to put into and, and sponsoring certain sure. projects. So again, it's a different level of, of, of entrepreneurship where clearly you're giving and having impact, but also your NFTs have value, which are growing over time. And therefore yep. there's an uh, opportunity to make money, have impact and create this fund basically you control. So again, there's a different place in that area, but intellectually that's stimulating. It gives back to the world and has the opportunity for significant scale. It meets my criteria.
1: I agree. Yeah. I I am fond of that space as well. That's really cool. That's awesome. So for, and how about, I should ask this too, just because we're, we're doing a lot of these these days. Do you have anything that you're kind of pursuing now in the terms of an equity deal where you're going to, Provide your advice or your genius, or your operational skills or expertise or resources Thanks. in exchange for ownership or ownership-like interests in companies.
0: Great question. So one of the one of the deals I have that that I'm really have for two years enjoyed my time is with Joshua uh, LHA from Josh Snow that people know him by Snow uh, Snow Oral Care, where he's yeah. pivoting his business to roll up the the oral the premium oral care market, and so it was an equity. It was an it was a equity plus some compensation along the way deal and we've been having a blast growing his business but he's an entrepreneur fire, fire and i'm looking f- and yes there's room for two more of those where there's equity participation but to get my again my network my knowledge the right you know and what we can do is really scale a business and i haven't found any business that i can't scale the and i don't care about revenue Scale the yeah. EBITDA and the market valuation to create liquidity events, whether they want to execute it or not, but make it make it basically its own asset asset class. And so I'm looking for two to three opportunities. And that's what I want to fill in that two thirds of my time doing. Nice.
1: Well, for anybody that would want to get a hold of you and find out more about you or maybe explore the possibility of working with you, what, what's the best way for them to do that?
0: Tom at tshipley.com is my email, and they can go to tshipley.com, tshipley, to learn more about me.
1: Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you being here today, and I'll look forward to uh, seeing what you do and hopefully having you back after the next deal.
0: And also looking for that magic opportunity for you, Roland.
1: I like it. I like it. I appreciate that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for being here today and thank you guys all for tuning in. We appreciate you doing that. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star review. We would really appreciate that and also subscribe so you don't miss out on anything. For today, that is it and we'll see you next time.
0: You've been listening
1: to Business Lunch with Roland Frazier. If you're enjoying the show, let us know by subscribing and leaving a review. And for more information, go to businesslunchpodcast.com. Thank you for listening.